Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the goals that we write in, in special education. And the reason we're going to talk about goals is because at the end of the Special Education and Advocacy Conference that we had back in January of 2022, a few of you wrote on your surveys that you would like for me to talk about goals. And so I thought, well, why wait an entire year for next year's conference? Let's do a little bit about goals now. What I am using as my outline is actually module four for the special education and advocacy lab. So if you enjoy today's content, I really encourage you to hop over to my website and to purchase the Special Education and Advocacy Lab. Of course, that is my online course that is available all the time for you that will kind of give you the nuts and bolts from the start to the finish of the special education process. So it walks you through eligibility and evaluations. It walks you through how to write and to read the IEP document from start to finish, including goals. It actually has an entire module that is dedicated to goals and specially designed instruction. We're gonna touch on a little bitty bit of that today from that module. Um, and it also provides lots of advocacy tips. So along the way, you will learn how to prepare for a meeting, how to keep your records in that binder that intimidates you. Um, maybe some advocacy tips like writing a demand letter or interacting with school staff. Um, and the lab concludes with a little peek at what happens if things don't go well. Some mediation, due process, and um, then we kind of summarize it at the end. It's 10 modules. It's about six and a half hours of content for you. And it's available over on my website. So if today's episode gives you enough, but you're looking for a little bit more about goals and specially designed instruction, I really encourage you to hop over and download the lab. So let's talk about goals. It's really important to kind of understand where goals go in special education. And I've talked about this on the podcast today, or part of me in the past, but I just want to touch on it again today because it's important when we're talking about goals that we kind of look at them in the context of the entire IEP. So the IEP goes in order. Don't forget that we write those present levels of performance. And then from the present levels of performance, we write goals that address the areas of need. 
Now the present levels of performance, by the way, should come from those evaluations and from um, prior performance, like data on prior goals, or maybe some academic testing, maybe some curriculum-based testing. Um, so we write those present levels and we talk about where we are in our academics and our related services and in our other functional skills. And then we say, okay, great, now we know exactly where we are and we need to know where we need to be or we need to know what skills are next. And so together as a team, we say, okay, these are the areas that we want to address and we're gonna write goals for them. The reason that we write the goals is because we have to have some way to measure our progress. We have to have some way to figure out, is this actually working? And so if together we all come up with a set of goals that we can use to monitor our progress, then we can come back in a year and say whether or not it helped, whether or not the specially designed instruction, the special education and related services is helping. So I think so many people get hung up in the goals, like the, the, these words and you have to have these elements of the goals and there's acronyms for how to write goals and all of that stuff. But if you back up a little bit or you kind of zoom out and you look at goals from a broader standpoint, what you're going to realize, what you're going to learn is that the goals themselves are very, very important. I'm not discounting how important goals are. But really the reason why we write goals is so that we can monitor our progress so we can see how we're doing at addressing those areas of need. Because we could just say, oh yeah, we need to work on um, basic math. We need to work on single digit addition. But when Congress wrote IDEA, they said, no, that IEP document should include very specific goals. They shouldn't say, we're just going to work on single digit addition because working on single addition, single digit addition doesn't give us any markers on how we're doing. And so we have to make very, very specific goals so that we can track how we're doing. And those goals then drive the meat, the heart, the exciting part of special education, that specially designed instruction. Because once we have a goal, then the goal gets supported. It gets taught with instruction that is specially designed for your child. And you know how excited I get when I talk about SDI because I think about my blonde little boy with crooked teeth, the one that's probably even going to interrupt us during this podcast because I'm in the bedroom next to him and I get so excited I might wake him up. And I think about him and I think about how lucky he is and how deserving he is, how wonderful it is, truly, truly wonderful that there are laws that say that his education has to be specially designed, uniquely tailored to meet his unique needs. That is crazy exciting. And he is entitled to make meaningful progress towards the goals that we write. And so when you think about your own beautiful deserving child, or your own beautiful deserving students, or the person that you love that is receiving this specially designed instruction. You can think about what kind of instruction is going to be appropriate 
for your child to make that meaningful progress and help them achieve progress on those goals, help them meet the goals. So the goals are really kind of written to help us monitor progress. So with that in mind, I want to give you kind of my underlying um, rule on whether or not a goal is good. When I look at a goal, I think to myself, how will I monitor progress on this goal? How am I going to know if we can check the box and say the goal is met in six months and 12 months? Now, remember, they're annual goals. And so our goal, <laughs> the, the objective here is to, to have goals that we can say we have met within 12 months. And so, and I don't really freak out when goals aren't met. That's a totally different philosophy. That's a totally different, we'll do another podcast on that at some point. But that's really, when I'm looking at a goal, I say, how am I going to monitor progress? And if I know exactly how I'm going to set it up and exactly what I'm going to do with the student and exactly how I'm going to know if we're making progress on the goal, then it's probably well-written enough. And so I've told you before, when I look at Jack's IEP, once we've got the final one done, I write all of his goals and I stick them on my refrigerator. And then I set up my progress monitoring charts at home. I do mine on Excel. And I also go over to our little cart where I put the stuff that Jack and I are working on. And I set up the activities so that I've got activities ready so that I can A, work on his goals, and B, measure his progress on his goals. And if I know how to set up my chart and I know what materials I need to help teach him his goals and to help teach him otherwise to broaden his education and to thereby kind of secondarily make progress on his goals, then for me, that's a well-written goal. But I do want to provide you a couple of specifics about what should be in a, in a goal. So the first thing is a goal should be very, very specific. The goal should address some kind of specific task, some skill or behavior that is very, very specific. So sometimes you'll see something like, um, will uh, maintain attention or will like improve attention or will um, be more social. That is not specific enough. And I mean, we could do several podcasts on some of the terrible goals that I have seen in my life. So we are looking at something very specific. We're looking at something that is single digit, single digit edition or second grade sight words or um, attention span for 15 minutes while reading. We're looking for something that is very, very specific. And the second thing is we have to have some kind of assessment strategy or measurable tool. So how is the skill, how is that specific task or specific behavior 
going to be measured? That's the question that we also ask. So are we using direct measures? Are we using indirect measures? You know, is the teacher just going to observe? Is the teacher going to use some kind of curricular-based assessment? Is it something where we're um, tallying, you know, we're making tally marks? Sometimes um, you'll see a goal that says um, something that the child has to feel before the goal can even kick in. So when the child doesn't understand, they need to ask a question, right? And we and sometimes we want a goal kind of like that for a timid type of a learner. You know, there's a learner that like, we need to work on um, expressing our wants and needs. And so you might say, oh, that sounds great, yeah. If they don't understand, then definitely they should ask a question. Well, here's the question that I always ask. How are we going to know when they don't understand? And then if we have to measure this, how am I going to know how many times the child doesn't understand something? So like in the entire school day, at the end of the day, you say, well, Johnny, how many things did you not understand today? And, oh, well, you didn't understand 35 things that I said, and you only asked four questions. Well, then your assessment today for goal number four is a four out of 35. That doesn't make any sense. You can't assess it that way. You can't, there's no measurable tool for learning, for assessing how many times Johnny didn't understand something. And so you have to kind of put things into context and really think, okay, but like, how am I gonna know the numerator and the denominator here? Another question is, sometimes we're looking at like a writing piece, for example, and um, you know, like, it, Let's say we've got a child that has a specific learning disability and written expression, and so we're really trying to work on our written expression. Well, there might be a goal that says that, um, you know, an eighth grade student is going to write a grade level um, essay. And maybe it's really specific, you know, maybe it says um, paragraphs, with, I don't know, like five sentences, or we'll write a one paragraph essay with five sentences, including an introduction, a conclusion, and three sentences. Well, that would be really easy to assess because we're looking for the introduction, the conclusion, and three supporting sentences. So I would think if you got four of those elements out of five, then maybe you would achieve an 80% on that goal. But far too often these things just say a well-written eighth grade passage. <laughs> well, how am I going to assess that? And if there is a specific tool, a specific rubric, a, a checklist, then great. That's awesome. That's what I want to know. Handwriting. How do I know line orientation and appropriate size? What is the rubric? Is it just, does that rubric reside in the OT's soul and it's something that only the OT knows? Well, then I don't like that because it's not a specific measurable tool. And I, as the parent, want to be involved and I want to know because I want to help at home and I also want to be able to assess um, the, the level of success from my own perspective. 
Okay, so we have a specific skill or a specific behavior, and then we have a specific way to measure it. And then, of course, the goal has to say how we are going to get there, how we are going to know if we have gotten there. So there has to be a specific level of attainment, like the check I got there, a specific level of achievement in order to get to mastery, in order to say, yes, you have met the goal. So what we're looking at is how do I know if I have met the goal? What is going to tell me, yes, that I got there? So that might be like that frequency count, like, you know, eight out of 10, or it might be um, a, a certain length of time. Like I said, a 10 minute attention span, something like that. And then it probably will also tell us um, something like over a, a specific course of time. So maybe it's like within one day or um, within a one week period or something like that. So we have this specific skill and we have a specific way to measure it. And then we have a specific way to look at how we have attained mastery. Now, when we're looking at the mastery, there's kind of like three different components. It's the accuracy. How much do we have to get? A nine out of 10 or, um, 10 minutes of attention span. And we're looking also at the reliability. What is the reliability? The reliability is our, um, our, our amount of, um, let's see, the reliability is the consistency with which we um, are attaining that good result over time. So reliability is like three out of four trials or five out of eight trials. And the, what we're looking for is we are looking for, we are looking for consistency. That's the last piece of this, but we're looking for consistency over time because it isn't going to be reliable unless it happens with consistency over time. And so the consistency part is how often we're measuring it. Are we measuring it weekly? Are we measuring it daily? Are we measuring it in every therapy session, etc.? The reliability is that consistency over time. Three out of four trials or um, once a week, that's our consistency for five consecutive weeks. Because if it happens five consecutive weeks, then it is reliable. So we're looking at the accuracy. How well did we do? We're looking at the reliability over how long, and then the consistency, how often does the child have to attain this in order to get there? So our kind of five elements, again, our specificity, a tool, accuracy, reliability, and consistency. Those are the five specific things that I think are in a well-written goal. 
So again, I'm going to look at these goals and I am going to say, how can I set this up in order to monitor progress and to help the child achieve the goal by teaching them? How am I going to monitor progress and how am I going to set up the instruction? That's what I look at in the big picture. So if I've got something, you know, if we have that single digit addition problem again, it, the goal might say Jack will complete, let's say 10 single digit addition problems with 60% accuracy in five out of eight trials as measured by direct measures on a weekly basis. Well, that is a well-written goal. The specificity is the single-digit addition problems. The tool is the direct measures. The accuracy is um, whatever I said, 75% or however many he has to get in order to say, oh yeah, I think he's probably getting this. I think we're doing well. The reliability is that five out of eight weeks. And then the consistency is that we were going to measure it on a weekly basis. I do want to say one more thing about reliability before we finish up today's episode. And this is something where I really, this is like one of the things that I'm always hammering in IEP meetings. So often people want 100% reliability over a long time course of time. And lots of goals are measured weekly. I like to measure goals weekly. I think to measure goals more often is overkill. And I oftentimes wonder if people are measuring goals on a daily basis or even two or three times a week. I'm like, well, then when do you teach? If you spend all this time monitoring progress, when do you teach? Because for me to monitor progress on my child's IEP takes us like sometimes an hour and 45 minutes and he doesn't have that many goals. So I do, I, I, I like it when goals are monitored every, um, every week, but there are some that should be monitored more often, obviously. And there are some that are, that are monitored, the progress monitoring happens and the, and the child isn't really aware, right? So like attention span, the child isn't really aware and you can take um, data on that while you're doing other things. And so I acknowledge that you can kill two birds with one stone. But back to reliability. So many times people will say four out of four trials. And so you have to get that number. You have to get that 75% accuracy, 80% accuracy, whatever it is. You have to get that accuracy four weeks out of four. You have no room for error. The child can't have a bad day. They can't have a runny nose. They can't just hate the month of February. And I'll tell you what happens so often. I work in the Down syndrome community a lot, but I also work with humans and all humans are like this. We all get the sniffles in February. By the way, I also work in Kentucky and Ohio where it is very gray in the month of February. It's cold and we're all kind of over it. And so what happens is, you know, we get through first semester and things are looking really good. Our data is trending up. 
everything is hunky-dory. We had that wonderful honeymoon period at the beginning of the year. Then things got a little bit harder, and then things got a little bit harder. But man, we started to show some progress. Yeah, there might have been a little dip after Thanksgiving, but that's a little break. And, you know, maybe we even have a little dip after Christmas. We come back. Everything's great because we're excited to be there. And then February hits and everybody's data falls off a cliff. It's like you're going up the roller coaster. And then you go straight down the roller coaster because that's when the runny noses happen. And that's when, as I said just a minute ago, we're all just done. I always say that every single year there is an email that I send to a teacher in response to some kind of um, notice of a behavioral thing or notice of a concern where I say, Jack just needs spring break. <laughs> and it's about this time that I'm like, oh, it can't come soon enough. And I've noticed that in my practice time and time again, kids are getting it. And that February slump doesn't mean that they aren't getting it. It means that there are other environmental and psychological and situational factors that are affecting their data. And that's okay. In my opinion, that does not universally mean that they haven't met a goal, that they haven't attained mastery on a particular skill or a particular behavior. It simply means that they're over it in the month of February. And that is one of the reasons I said before um, that I don't mind if a, a goal isn't met, if we can't check the box and say, oh yes, we met the goal. That's one of the reasons why. But in that reliability piece, I oftentimes advocate that we make it three out of four trials. Here where, where I am in the greater Cincinnati area and almost everywhere in Kentucky, um, people will try to say four out of four trials fairly often. And I say, but do we have to get four weeks in a row or four, you know, four trials in a row in order to say, yes, we've gotten it because we have to have at least four good days in a row in order to say, yes, we have gotten it. And that reliability can still be there if we allow somebody one off week. So I oftentimes advocate for three out of four trials or four out of six trials or um, even seven out of eight we, I've done before. And I think that that um, helps, even though it doesn't necessarily matter that you check off the box to say, yes, you have met a particular goal. So those are the elements to a well-written goal, in my opinion, but don't forget that I like to back out a little bit and simply say, how am I going to monitor progress on this? And how am I going to teach it? And if you can set up your chart and you know exactly how you're going to teach it, and if the teacher says, yeah, 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 that's how I'm going to do it, well, then I think it's a well-written goal. So that's what I've got for you this week. I will see you next week, same time, same place. Have a wonderful week.